We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to CHGO Bulls, presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. I am Will Gottlieb. You can follow me on Twitter at Won't Gottlieb. And I'm here today with my buddy Mark K., Mark Karanzoulis. Follow him on Twitter at MKHoops. Uh, we're going to mix it up here a little bit and do one of our old retro now at this point, Bulls <laughs> HQ edition podcasts. Um, I'm trying to mix in some different content for you guys uh, over the course of the off season. So Mark and I thought we would jump back in and do one of our old shows. So we've got some interesting stuff to talk about. But first, just welcome back, Mark. I haven't talked to you in a while. How you doing? Yeah, I know, man. It's been it's been a while. Um, how's uh? How's, how's Brazil treating you? I just realized we're both in the uh, Southern Hemisphere at the moment. Is it, I'm, both I'm in the Southern sure. Hemisphere. And I think we are both in like non-United States biggest Bulls fandom areas. Like I think a lot yeah. of our traffic comes from Brazil and from Australia. So shout out that, to all of our listeners from these places. For sure. 100%. And I, just, I certainly know a few um, South Americans slash Brazilians that's... Um, the tune in um so yeah shout out to all those guys i appreciate the support of course absolutely so today um we're going to talk about a few things number one is this buzzword that we keep talking about that we keep hearing about continuity and what does it actually mean and how does it like function in real life what will it actually look like uh so we're going to dive into that and then a little bit more about just like the Bulls sort of philosophy as an offensive team, um, the fact that they shoot so few threes and whether or not you can be an efficient offense playing that way. 
and sort of how the continuity of the roster mixes in with that. Um, and then what they can do to try to be a little bit better this year. Obviously, they played great at the start of last season, but really fell off. They need to find a way to, you know, even if it's not just reach that peak that they were at, be more consistent throughout and then sort of get to a higher playing field when they're nearing or hopefully entering the playoffs. So let's mark kick it off with this idea of continuity. This is something that you and I have been chatting about a lot. Um, what does continuity even mean? Like what they keep saying, we're going to, you know, have continuity. We're going to bring back the same roster. Is it just like, we're going to retain the same players? What does this mean? We, you know, like how businesses have their, like their, their mission statements or their slogans, their one liner type things that, are very grand and very broad and don't really tell you much. I feel like this is the exact same thing in this instance where it's like, it sounds nice. Continuity is a good word, but I mean, what does that actually mean in terms of like, well, where does it apply? I guess, does it apply to just the core guys? Does it apply to the entire roster? Like that isn't clear to me or it hasn't necessarily been made clear by the balls. And I guess based on their actions, it pretty much applies to everyone given that the the majority of the, ro- of the roster is unchanged. Now, maybe that's just because of the off-season itself. Obviously, the true test of continuity will be into the season and how things change and evolve around that, assuming it does. But um, again, that comes back to what the Bulls view in as co- continuity. Like, is it just a one-season thing? Like, is continuity a thing or a theme that will continue over into the next season and the season beyond? So, like, there's so many questions that need to be asked around this aspect of continuity continuity but I, I don't necessarily think one that those questions have been a- uh, asked or if they have we certainly haven't received a good answer around it so uh, to me like it, it's a nice buzzword but that's all it really is at this point yeah buzzword is the the perfect way to describe it for me and so the first time we heard this was ak following the bulls um exit in the first round of the playoffs uh in sort of the postseason exit interviews he brought up the idea of continuity and bringing back, I think, a, a similar roster. We've heard guys like Zach Lowe, who recently talked about the Bulls on his podcast with Chris Herring, talk about, you know, maybe they owe it to themselves to run things back, considering how good they were when they were healthy. To me, it almost feels like a bit of an excuse for not doing anything because, and this is like <laughs> quickly heading down a dark path, but like <laughs> it, it only, it only, it only means something until like continuity only exists until they make a move. Right. And so you can say continuity, 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 continuity. If you then go out and trade Vooch, then it's not continuity anymore. And so for me, it's like, we're going to, this is going to be our baseline. And of course they're going to be talking about deals that they can make with other teams. Like that's what you do. They're going to be taking calls. AK said that they're going to be looking in the draft. They're going to be trying to make trades. They're going to be like going after free agents, all this stuff that he talked about in exit interviews. Um, And so for me, continuity is like the baseline of we're not going to make any changes unless we find a great change to make. And so I think for me, it's sort of just like this excuse is maybe too strong, but it's just like this idea that we're, not going to do anything drastic just for the sake of doing something drastic. And we're going to, we're going to be okay with the roster that we have because of, you know, what we looked like when we were healthy. So let me ask you this. I mean, does this roster deserve continuity? Like were they good enough Mm -hmm. to where you can say, yeah, well they were healthy. They looked great. Um, Does that make it, is that like a good enough reason for, for keeping the roster the same? 
I can understand why they would feel that that way. And I think to be fair, um, you know, halfway through the season, I felt very similarly. So it would kind of be hypocritical of me to say that there's no justif- justification for it at all, where I think you could easily talk yourself into it. Now, it, it's maybe somewhat problematic that someone like Lonzo or Caruso are so valuable to your team, like two role guys are so valuable to, valuable to your team that the minute you remove them from the... Uh, the puzzle all of a sudden everything else crumbles like that shouldn't happen and maybe that for that because that did happen maybe that sort of puts the hot the whole continuity theme at peril so i can i, I can see both sides i guess is my point but i, I look for me and, and maybe we're a little bit different in this because I, I know you were keen on the go bear trade and like if you pull a, a move for go bear you're at least sending out virgin pat that would have wouldn't really necessarily continue or bring you that continuity, let's say. Whereas me, I, I wasn't interested in a go-bear deal. I wasn't necessarily interested in something huge or sweeping in that nature. What I wanted was moves around the edges, around the you know, around the end of the rotation. And like- Well, Mark, you got out, him in the form of Goran Dragic <laughs> well, and Andre Drummond. I wasn't necessarily <laughs> expecting that far down in the rotation. Maybe a little bit, a little bit further up, but like, let, let, let's replace Kobe White. Let's let's replace either Javante or um, Derek Jones Jr. Obviously, you need to do something better at backup center than what the Bulls had. Tristan Thompson was an abomination, as was Tony Bradley. You can say that um, you know adding Andre Drummond is doing that, but it doesn't necessarily meet my demands. So what for me was like you could have continuity, but continuity doesn't doesn't necessarily stop you from doing or adding something really significant. And you guys the other day talked about the Celtics and their their off-season, like adding Malcolm Brockton to be your sixth man effectively. Like you're keeping your core in place. You're keeping that continuity, but you're adding a legitimate piece that's going to potentially raise the level of your team. And like, that's what I was kind of expecting, something like that. It didn't necessarily have to be Malcolm Brogdon, but adding a legitimate bench piece, adding another Caruso-level player to your bench, someone else that you could realistically depend on. Because if we go back to the playoffs, the Bulls basically had three and a half slash four and a half guys that, that, that Billy could, you know, realistically um, depend on. So they need to, they needed to shore up their bench. And that's what I was hoping for of the off season. I thought you could do that whilst being, you know, continuing this continuity theme. So going back to your question is does, does this core deserve that? I think, I think if I'm being positive that they, that, that they do, it, it would be a shame to see it be completely te- torn down just without getting a full season look at it. And maybe you won't even get that going into the season, depending on what happens with Lonzo. But at the same time, you know, the Bulls are at a bit of a crossroads here, and we'll talk about it a little bit later on. But uh, that's why I'm interested and fascinated to see how long continuity lasts for, because they've got player decisions to make in season that are going to affect continuity, regardless of what they will or want to do sort of thing, like with Vooch, with DeRozan, with other players. So it's going to be fascinating to see how... um, how keen or how willing they are to keep this whole thing going. Yeah, I was totally on board with the Rudy Gobert trade because I very much buy into this idea that, you know, unless you're drastically improving, you're falling behind because you look at Mm -hmm. what the Celtics have done. You look at what the 76ers have done, what the Hawks Mm -hmm. have done. um, Even like the Raptors to a certain extent, like I would have been thrilled with their off season to your point. Like they just added, they're like sixth and seventh guys like the bulls this has been like something that Ricky and, and Jason talk about all the time and, and Stefan that like the bulls top four, top five is great, but their six, seven, eight positions 
mm-hmm. sort of like down their roster is really weak and you don't really know what you're getting out of them. And so for me, if you're going to try to be a legitimate team, like you need to have depth and you need to be able to withstand injuries. So continuity for the sake of like buying into this idea that Lonzo is going to be healthy for a full season that especially when you put that into perspective of what other teams have done is where, you know, it like actually confuses me as opposed to with Gobert just like would have been sort of like a pipe dream scenario of adding a third true superstar, you know, caliber player to the mix. So I definitely, you know, and then you look at what the, what the jazz were able to get back from the bulls were never going to be in that, in that mix. Um, Yeah. So definitely sort of continuity at the, at the top, but then adding to sort of the middle and back end of the roster of the, the playable roster, I think, yeah, is like a really important thing. But then, you know, there are also ways to improve the the team and the coaching staff without changing the roster. And I think that's another area where you just didn't see enough, in my opinion, in terms of this this other thing that like all of Bulls Twitter is talking about all the time. There's no shooting coach. Like they have Javante Green, Ayodasumu, Derek Jones, like all these guys that are supposed to get minutes that are really inconsistent shooters. You draft Dalen Terry. Um Vooch goes from 38% to 31%. Like you can't have this sort of variance, uh, especially when you're shooting so few threes mm-hmm. and just continue to bring guys into the roster who aren't strong shooters and not help them improve. So the player development area, especially with, with regards to shooting, uh, that was another area where I feel like you can have continuity while also finding ways to improve your team, whether it's on the floor or upstairs or in the coaching staff. Yeah, and look, that may be the answer. And and in six months' time, the the whole the whole theme of continuity may make complete sense because Pat has taken a real leap. Like Io has continued to improve. Maybe Kobe becomes a little bit more consistent. Perhaps the Bulls get something out of Devon Terry in year one. Like at, at present day, based on what we know now, like we're questioning the validity of continuity. But maybe it will make complete sense in in a number of months' time when we actually get to see what some of these younger guys look like. Have they taken that step? And if they have, then maybe you didn't necessarily need to, to go out there in free agency and add, you know, a guy or two. I mean, I mean, you could still argue you could do this that whilst getting player development and, and that is something I would definitely argue. But having said that, like the way to overcome your inactivity in free agency is by these younger guys taking that step. Like Pat, you know, obviously having him for a hopefully a full season and him making a leap in year three that would overcome so much of what we're talking about because that's not a known quantity right now. That's why we obviously, I think in my opinion, fairly questioning this whole thing. So I think you're right in saying that the way this just the way you can justify continuity is if, you know, guys like Pat, if you, by keeping him around and, and not including him in a Rudy Gobert deal or whatever the whatever trade you want to throw out there, if he takes that next step, if he develops as a player and you get something more out of Io who had a fantastic rookie season then that's a way where all of a sudden, rather than having four or five guys that you could truly depend on, now you've got six or seven that you can really, you know, throw in a rotation and be comfortable with. So that is going to be key for the season. We kind of already knew that anyway, like that that player development was was going to be central to what the Bulls had to do this season, given that they made very few changes that are going to impact the rotation going forward. So that is the biggest aspect to me going forward in this season. Like what is... What does Pat look like? What does Aya look like? What is Vush going to look like? And it, it's kind of odd to think of player development for a 32-year-old guy, but he's still developing or finding himself, I hope. I hope that's why the the downside was related to him sort of trying to figure out his role as a third option now. He's 
you know, got very comfortable being that lead option in Orlando, came to the Bulls and was a, a pseudo first option and then all of a sudden was down to number three this season. So there's still some development to be had in his game in terms of accepting a new and different role and learning how to play with that. So I guess if you want to look at this from a rose-colored uh, rose glasses perspective, if you want to put those lenses on, then it has to all come through player development. So that's what we're hoping on right now. And especially with Pat, like we, you guys, yeah. you and you and Matt joke about this all the time in terms of like, well, he's not even <laughs> 21 yet. And it's like, okay, fine. If you, if the argument is he's not even 21 yet, so think about how good he can be. That's one thing. But then you also keep the roster the same and need from him a huge step forward. Yeah. How can you not invest in player development? Because now you're just, you're in no man's land where you're not develop, developing him the way he needs to be developed. And granted, like they drafted him before they got Damar and Vooch. Like they drafted him as a project, right? But now they need to accelerate that. He's in year three. This is a huge year from him. And you need to have player development so that he can basically, he's like the linchpin of the season, right? Like they're, they're going to be as good as, you know, hopefully they were when Lonzo was healthy and then plus whatever Pat gives you. And so if that is the goal for Pat to give you more, for Pat to take you to that next level, then you do need to rely on him. And in order to rely on him, you need to develop him. And so that's another area where I think they're just, and you know, maybe he does just by virtue of the fact that he's going to be getting more consistent minutes and playing, you know, actual minutes and not having to sit out the entire season with, uh, with an injury. But then you, it's like the chicken parm thing. Like a year ago, we were talking like three months ago, we were talking about how not ready Patrick was. So how can you then have these expectations and not, you know, do everything that you can from a front office perspective, coaching staff perspective, uh, skills and development, all this stuff to try to get him as ready as you can. And maybe they are, but it just seems like there's been basically this whole idea of continuity for me is how good can we be? Can we be as good as we were when we were healthy and how much better does Patrick being a year older and a year more experienced, how much better does he make them and so in order to accomplish those two things you need to invest in health and you need to invest in player development and even if you're not going to change the roster i think that is an area where you can still make moves while having continuity yeah yeah for sure but yeah i, mean, I guess i come back to a point i made earlier like you could have both things at the same time like at the moment the way the balls are currently constructed like pat is the the main power forward, let's say. Like, I guess Derek Jones Jr. is going to get some backup minutes there. Javante will get some backup minutes there. Billy will play three, four guard lineups. So there'll be other guys running through that four position. DeMar DeRozan even may do that too. So that's the way the Bulls will be addressing power forward. But I mean, I, I guess my argument would be like you could have continuity whilst also doing more. And I, for example, this is purely speculative. And I'm assuming if, if the money was the same he would still have gone to the sixes because of the you know past connections his past connections to Maury, past connections to Harden etc wanting to play with Joel Embiid but so I'm not suggesting that Bulls could have got PJ Tucker but you could have gone out and got someone like PJ Tucker in theory let's say whilst keeping Pat you keep that whole continuity thing together you add another legitimate piece to your rotation you don't you uh, minimize the amount of pressure or significance that Pat needs to have on his shoulders in, in year three. And, and like that would have been, to me, a such a better offseason than what obviously they've, they've put together. Now, like I said, maybe that is not 
maybe that's not possible. Maybe you can't get PJ Tucker for all the reasons why I mentioned before, but do something, something, something similar, I guess. If it's not PJ Tucker, I've, I've, I've banged on about uh, Hartenstein before, so I won't go down that path. So I guess my point that, but I even like Tory Craig, who I think you and I talked about yeah, a lot at the trade yeah, deadline yeah. or Nicholas Batum, like obviously the Clippers are doing, they're spending whatever it takes to keep their whole team together. Mm-hmm. But like, again, you can find like, they just, they had a roster full of six, four, six, five guys and seven foot mm-hmm. guys. Mm-hmm. And they had an area of weakness. They needed shooting. They needed perimeter defense. And you can, you can keep the core together while still adding somebody like a Tory Craig. Um, but they didn't. Yeah, exactly. And then this is where, like coming back to another point I made, like this is when it's going to be interesting to see how long they keep this whole continuous theme going for. Like, is it for the first 20 games of the season, first, first 30 games of the season? Do we continue with how things are beyond the trade deadline? I mean, I, I touched on it before, but like Virtue is going to be an expiring deal. So if you want to continue continuity beyond this season, does that mean that Vooch is bound to get an extension from the balls? Like, again, because they haven't necessarily defined what continuity is or what it truly means, and they probably haven't for a number of reasons. So, like, you and I come, come back to them and use their words against them. But, you know, that needs, for, that needs to be defined for us, for us to understand where this team is going. Because on one hand, you're arguing continuity, but, like, how long does that truly apply for? Like, if, if let's just for example say the first forty games of the season, the Bulls are fifteen and twenty-five. Does that mean AK and Mark Eversley are just going to continue to sit on their hands and say, "No, this team, this team deserves more time," or is forty games enough enough time for them to realize that maybe continuity isn't the answer? That maybe things need to happen at the trade deadline. That's that's kind of the stuff I'm thinking about about now. But because I haven't answered that, because I haven't defined that, like. It leads to questions like, what does it mean for Vooch? What does it mean for DeRozan? What does it mean for Pat? All these sorts of things need to be answered. And I guess we won't have that answer now. It will have to wait and see how it plays out. And to be fair, the the answers to those questions are, are very uh, results-driven or variable in that nature. So it'll be interesting to see how the first 40 games of the season really play out. Like well, That's when we'll get the answers to these questions. Yeah, I mean, the Vooch thing is super interesting. Obviously, DeRozan will be around beyond this upcoming mm-hmm. season for one more yeah. year. Um, what happens if Lonzo's not ready to go for the start of the season? Exactly. Can we talk yeah. about continuity at that point? Yeah. Uh, I don't think it will be full on disaster mode. Like I, I think they will be probably around or above 500 40 games into the season. And if that's the case, it's just going to be like treading water until hopefully everybody gets healthy. Right. So we'll see. I think the Vooch extension is super interesting. I'm not really sure what to make of that, but, assuming they have to make a decision before they find out what the team looks like, because otherwise he's going to become unrestricted. Mm. Uh, He's extension eligible now. So they, they either like take that into next season and then it's a similar situation to not trading Derek Jones jr. At the trade deadline where you basically just lose that asset. You play with the cap hold. Sure. But then you miss out on the opportunity to use him in a trade with that $12 million, $13 million salary that he had, and you bring him back for three, um, he's a fine player. I'm not like upset that he's on the roster by any means. And you and I had both been calling for him to play back up five. Um, mm-hmm. I think he is a really good guard defender. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on there, but he was a really good trade asset that they didn't use. And it takes you back to the idea of not trading, not keeping Larry Nance in that situation. Um, so they, they got the draft pick from Portland and Derek Jones, but if they continue to not use those 
lower level assets that they have to add to this core, you know, it seems like to me, if the idea is continuity, that they're doing themselves a, a little bit of a disservice by not trying to add around the edges. And again, I've said this a million times before, this was a really light off season in terms of like players available that were going to be able to make an impact. And so I'm not like, there's not anyone that I'm super upset the Bulls didn't get. Obviously Hartenstein would have been great. And I think he would have been, you know, the next era for the Bulls starting center at a really reasonable price. Mm-hmm. And so again, now it just takes you back to this idea of the Vooch extension and when or if that happens. So um, that I think is going to be sort of one of the underrated storylines in the first for the rest of the summer and, and potentially the first half of the season, because to your point, you know, what happens if 30, 40 games in there are 500 or worse or Lonzo's not healthy, but they're around 500. Like they're just going to continue to wait and see. And we've given uh, Eversley and AK a ton of credit for being willing to be aggressive with trades and make moves. And now that the team is a roster built on guys that they've acquired, I'm interested to see what that next, like it's much easier to trade away a bunch of Garpax era guys than it is to, yeah, send out 100%. picks and players for guys that you want and then decide to trade them too. So super interesting to see what's going on with them. Um, we'll continue to talk about that more uh, in addition to sort of like if they are going to bank on continuity, what do they need to change or adjust with their style of play? But first, you've heard it before. I'm going to do my best Big Dave impersonation here. It's not going to be as good, but bear with me. You know the answer to the best way to support CHGO is to download the PointsBet app and use promo code CHGO when you sign up. If you do that right now, you'll get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. But that's not all. If you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you will receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content. That means all of my writing, all of Mark's writing, And you'll get a free t-shirt and you will just get a free membership to all of our content. So that just, just like free money up and down. It's really a mistake to not do it. Uh, $2,000 in free bets, free CHGO membership, free shirt, all for $50 in a first time deposit. Um, So what are you waiting for? It's time to elevate your live betting game. Once the game starts, you don't just bet. Mark, you want to, you want to tell them what they need to do? Well, I don't think the people will. They need to live their bet life. That just was so smooth. I'm really glad we did that. <laughs> do you reckon that's on um, Dave's level or Matt's level? I, I think we got some work to do. Let's just say if Matt <laughs> and Dave actually listen to this, I might hear about it. Um, uh, let's talk about uh, three-point attempt rate because yeah. the Bulls did not shoot very many threes. Mm-hmm. And we know it's very difficult in today's NBA to sustain good offense without being a good or high um, volume three-point shooting team. They were super high in terms of three-point percentage for the first half of the season when guys like Javante and Derek Jones and Ayo were all shooting 57% from deep and we were all super excited about it, but obviously that was going to come crashing down. And unfortunately they all just fell off a cliff at the same time. And I think that's a huge reason why the bulls really suffered offensively down the stretch and in the playoffs, especially obviously, you know, the, the bucks were basically just leaving them wide open. So Mark put together this graphic, Joe, you can throw it back up there of just like the, the last couple seasons of 
three-point attempt rate and win-loss record. And just this idea of can you even be a good team if you shoot few threes? So, Mark, what stands out to you here? Yeah, well, look, just just coming back one step, like the reason why we're talking about this is is an extension to continuity. Like we we, we talked about that in the previous 20-odd 20 20 minutes of the show, but because the Bulls roster is unchanged or largely unchanged, because we know that the Bulls were last in the NBA in three-point attempt rate last season, it's fair to assume that they're going to be, if not last, then maybe bottom five. So I took a look at like just over the last three seasons, just who was bottom five in three-point attempt rate in the NBA? What was their win-loss record? How did that sort of stack up to sort of help answer the question, can you win at a high level whilst shooting threes? And I, I guess the, the takeaway for me is, that I think you can because the Bulls, as we know, they were 30th in three-point attempt rate last season. They won 46 games. At, at one point, they were on track to win 55 games. So um, we know obviously what happened as to why they didn't necessarily win that amount of games. But even even you know ignoring the Bulls for a second, the Phoenix Suns were 27th in three-point attempt rate. They won 64 games last season. The Sixers in the 2020-21 season, I you know, they were one of the better teams in the East. They won 49 games in a 72-game season. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies last uh, this season rather had 56 wins and were the second-best team in the Western Conference, maybe even the second-best uh, team in the NBA. Uh, even going back to 2019-20, teams like Denver and, and Indiana won a lot of basketball games by being a low-volume three-point shooting team. So I think, you know, if someone like me who's made a lot about or he's banged on a lot about three-point attempt, right? Like, it's very important to me that the Bulls are, uh, you know, at least better than the last, better than the 30th in terms of three-point attempt rate for a lot of different reasons, but it doesn't preclude you from winning games. So that is very clear to me, and that is the expectation, or that should be the baseline of, of, of our thinking here, that just because you don't shoot a lot of threes doesn't mean you can't be a good team. What it does mean, though, is you need to excel in other areas. I mentioned the Suns before, they were the best mid-range shooting team in the NBA. So they were able to overcome their lack of three-point shooting by finding other avenues to score, by ex- exploiting that and, and you know being better at other teams than that and, and making up that delta between the three-point line. Similarly with the Memphis Grizzlies this season who won 56 games. like They were not a high-volume three-point shooting team, but what they did extremely well was gain transition. They overcome the deficit in that facet. But they were, they were also one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the NBA as well. So they were able to find extra points or make up that deficit in three-point shooting by getting on the glass and and um, you know scoring or creating second chances via offensive rebounding. So I guess it's 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 somewhat elementary to say that if you're bottom five in three-point shooting or the attempt rate, let's say that you're going to be a bad team because that isn't necessarily true. But what it does mean, or what is it, or what it, what it emphasizes, is that you have to find other avenues on offense to really make up for that for that gap in three-point shooting. So, the Bulls had that in the first half of the season, where they were one of the best transition teams in the NBA with Lonzo and Caruso and the, the defense that they were playing. They were able to overcome that gap in three-point shooting by getting stops, getting in transition, and getting all those fast break points. We saw that completely disappear once Lonzo and Caruso went out, which meant obviously when uh, when when their transition game went away, it sort of emphasized their lack of three-point shooting as we saw in the playoffs. So I, I guess to answer the question, Will, like, yes, you can be a high-level shooting, to, a high-level basketball team without shooting so many threes, but I guess the question now becomes, well, how are you going to make up that deficit? So that is now the question for the Bulls. Do they revert back to what they were doing in the first half of, the, of last season or 
is what we saw of that second half of season more telling or more representative of who they will be, particularly if Lonzo isn't ready to go. Yeah, I mean, Lonzo, this was a discussion I think that was thrown around a ton in terms of Lonzo losing you eight three points, three pointers attempted per game. Yeah. Like, obviously, I think the number goes up a little bit with him back, sure. Um, I think the efficiency leveled out the way that it probably would have. I don't think Lonzo has ever been. I mean, Lonzo's previous career high from three, I believe, was 37%. He shot 42 this year. So I think it's fair to say, you know, he's probably going to come down a little bit as well um, in terms of three-point percentage. Yeah, last two years prior to his season with the Bulls in which he shot 42.3% on 7.4 threes per game was 37.8 on 8.3 and 37.5 on 6.3. So super high volume and obviously high efficiency. But if you drop from 42.5 to 40, or 42 and a half to 38 where he was the last season. I mean, that's a huge drop off. So yeah. uh, they, they not only need him to be shooting a lot, but they need him to continue to make threes at a super high level. And, you know, my takeaway from this, this thing that you put together, which I think is super interesting is that, you know, you just, you need to have a true identity offensively in order mm-hmm. to make up for that thing. And that's something that you know, I asked Billy about it a, a few times uh, over the course of the season where it was just like, well, you're not shooting any threes anymore. Like, how do you, what's, how do you fix it? What's the, how yeah. do you fix the Delta? Mm-hmm. And the, the answer was like, well, basically like you either, it's like the, the four factors, you got to get to the line a lot. You got to get on transition. And mm-hmm. so when you lose Lonzo and you lose Caruso and you lose mm-hmm. Zach and basically the offense turns into the De- DeMar DeRozan show, which to be fair, he was awesome, but like yeah. that you remove an entire part of the team's identity I think that's one, an aspect of continuity that they're trying to get back to. But two, I think it makes the the fans and the media and all these people just kind of forget how good they were. Now, the Grizzlies, who had a, a super high or super low three-point attempt rate, were insane in transition. They mm-hmm. had Ja, they had Bain, they had all these guys that run the floor. Yeah. Um, they were amazing. And so, you know, I don't know if the Bulls are at that level, but what they had was really special in transition will you know it remains to be seen whether that kind of style of play you know it was it was a great balance like they they were able to play fast but then also could get into this secondary transition with with Vooch trailing and then you know flow into a third tertiary offense where it was like Zach or Damar just like getting you a last seven seconds of the shot clock look and so that's that's like a really solid offensive possession those three options um so we'll see if if they can do that at a, at a super high level. But again, it all comes back to this idea of continuity where can you even rely on them? Because if Lonzo's gone, it not only does it remove the three-point attempt rate, it removes the transition game. And so now you've lost two aspects of your identity, both of which basically just kill you analytically because you can't shoot threes and you can't get out in transition. So you're relying on free throws and offensive rebounds. And you're the worst offensive rebounding team in the league. So you're just relying on DeMar. And I think that just became overwhelming for him and for the rest of the team when shots just didn't fall for everybody else. Yeah, well, look, even with Lonzo, and I have the numbers, but when when the Bulls were at their height, let's say, let's just say, let's let's cap the date until the end of December 31, uh, 2021. So it's not exactly halfway, but it's like 35 games into the season. The Bulls were... 29th in three-point attempt rate. And that was with Lonzo playing most of those games. So even with Lonzo, the Bulls are a very low volume three-point shooting team. So to me, there's no getting around that. Like 
but man, particularly because the roster has remained unchanged, I would expect going forward into next season, the Bulls are going to be a very low three-point attempt rate team, which is concerning, but there's ways around that, as I sort of alluded to. And, and as we've, we've, we've cited, like this, the Phoenix Suns got around that by having Devin Booker and Chris Paul and maybe potentially Kevin Durant by mid-raging, mid-raging the hell out of teams and just being so efficient from there that it overcame. And Aiden shoots like 60% from the field, and Mikael Bridges is really good at it. Like yeah, they exactly. had so many mid-range weapons, and I think I, I do worry that these are the exceptions that make the rule as opposed 100%. to this is uh, the uh, avenue to do it. Completely agree. They are the exceptions. They're potentially outliers. And whilst maybe the Suns aren't a great example right now, given how they exited the playoffs, like relying on the mid-range jumper maybe is something that's maybe more reliable than being a high transition team or a team that forces turnovers, gets in, gets in the passing lane and then starts that fast break. Like in the playoffs, like that may work in the in the regular season, but I, I do question the validity of that approach come playoff time when things start to slow down. It becomes more of a naturalized half-court basketball game. Like if that avenue of scoring goes down because that's just, you know, playoff basketball, there's less possessions and those sorts of things, then does the three-point variance come to play at that point? And the reason why, like, three-point attempt rate, it, it, it concerns me is, 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 like, the Bulls just don't have a top five or, top, or a top ten player. And I know that's very rudimentary analysis, but in some ways that matters, you know, they matter so much in basketball. And you can get around some of these deficiencies if you can kick the ball to a Giannis or a Kawhi or, you know, insert whoever, Kevin Durant, whatever the player may be, a Luka, for example. You can get... You can get past some of these deficiencies. And I mentioned the Nuggets before that they were one of the worst three-point shooting teams or in terms of volume a couple of years back. Like they had Jokic. So they have other answers to get around this that are maybe more reliable than what the Bulls have. So why three-point attempt rate matters to me is from a variance perspective, because you don't have that high-level absolute gun of a player, you need something else to sort of overcome the the, the, the uh, you know the talent uh, mismatch that you may sort of come up against. So that's why I've been banging on about three-point attempt, right? I still think the Bulls can be a good team without being a high-volume three-point shooting team. But another thing that I looked at, like it, ultimately we're all here to see the Bulls win a title. I don't think this group is necessarily going to do it. But I, I went back and looked at the, the last 10, 10 NBA champions and sort of compared their three-point attempt rate versus you know, where that's typically sits. And, and, but more importantly, what I started to think about, like it's, it's less about your three-point attempt rate and your efficiency from three-point line, but more so you just your, your general offensive output. So I started looking at true shooting percentages amongst the top 10, not the top 10, the last 10 NBA champions. And the, like the majority of NBA champions over the last 10, 10 years have been, um, you know, top five in offensive rating, top five in true shooting percentage. So why that matters is, Three-point shooting obviously goes a long way in helping you boost your true shooting percentage. There's obviously other ways around it. Like I said, like, like the Bulls were a very good uh, true shooting percentage team in the first half of the season, as were the Phoenix Suns, because they were so good from the mid-range. But the Bulls, if we're removing the three-point line, because they're not necessarily going to take up a lot of threes, if we're potentially removing the transition, transition aspect of their offense, because... Lonzo may be out or maybe he's playing, but he's not at the same level and they don't necessarily have a, a facsimile to, to play that same way. If you start removing these sorts of avenues from the offense, it becomes very narrow. It becomes very ISO driven and your realistic ability to be a, a, an efficient offense starts to dwindle. So 
again, I'm not expecting the Bulls to be you know, NBA champions anytime soon. But I guess the consistent theme here is to be an NBA champion, you need to have a top five offense or you need to be top five in true shooting percentage. And if you don't have a, a huge three-point attempt rate and you don't have you know, a, a guy that's an offense onto himself, like a Kevin Durant or you know, whoever it may be, a Luka, then you're going to struggle to be an efficient offensive team. So that's why it all comes back to this this whole three-point attempt rate conversation and even loops back into the continuity thing. And it's all connected, I guess, is my point. Yeah, I mean, you look at the the last 10 or however many it is champions that you put up here with their three-point attempt rate and true shooting percentage. And I mean, there's a couple of things that stand out. One is that most of them are, you know, not necessarily super high three-point attempt teams, but they're super high efficiency teams. Yeah. And what that tells me is um, that they've got a style of play that they are good at. And then you look at the teams and it's the Warriors. They have the unsolvable like problem that is the Steph Curry, Draymond Green pick and roll. Seven years later, you still can't figure out how to defend that. You have the Milwaukee Bucks. They have a Giannis. You have the Lakers. They had LeBron. The Raptors had a great style of play. But at the end of the game, you had Kawhi Leonard to go to. The Warriors, the Warriors, the Cavs. Like, you have yeah. something that you can always fall back on. And so... Mm-hmm. Again, it comes back to Lonzo, and this is something that Zach Lowe said in that podcast I referenced earlier, which was like, how many All-Star games has Lonzo been to? Zero. Like, do we really think Lonzo Ball is, is like, worth 15 or 10 wins for the Bulls? <laughs> and, like, I kind of do. It's crazy. But, like, he, as I said before, he is, like, the the function of two major aspects of not only the Bulls' efficiency, but their identity three even if you include defense like he is the best at getting out in transition he's the best go-ahead passer on the team he is the highest volume highest efficiency three-point shooter on the team and to your point like you can't lose out on both of those things and still have that same identity and all this is not to mention like just this very basic aspect of it which is spacing like if you've got io and javante out here bombing 52 threes a game against the Bucks in the playoffs and they're giving them wide open threes so that they can triple team DeMar at the elbow. Yeah, of course <laughs> the Bulls offense is going to suffer because DeMar's got Wesley Matthews, Drew Holiday and Giannis draped all over him and nobody can hit a shot. So it's not even just about shooting a lot of threes. Like I think that's, that's an area where people will get annoyed if you just say, well, shoot more threes. I think there's more to it than that. But I do think at the end of the day, the Bulls can't be last. Like you can be in the bottom 10 and get over it if everybody is healthy and DeMar is playing well and Lonzo has the team moving in transition and they're getting stops on defense, getting steals, live ball turnovers, getting out in transition and moving the ball and he's shooting a ton of threes. Like they can they can be okay if they're a bottom 10 team, but to be last by like a significant margin, I just I think that's not enough. And and then you also look at it in terms of going into the playoffs as a super low volume three-point shooting team, not having worked on that or practiced that at all. And now having Vooch jack up 11, 12, 13 threes in a game, because that's what the bucks are just affording him. So I think Mm. they need to have a a default offense that they can, that they can really make their identity. And maybe Lonzo is the key to that and, and why he is so important and valuable to just like the general outcome of this team. And then, 
Damar is that guy that you go to in the late clock situations who was obviously way better than anybody suspected he would be. But like he was legitimately good enough and shot a high enough percentage and won games on his own in clutch situations where he could be that guy that is just a go-to bucket in late game scenarios where you need something because the transition game or three-point game isn't working. Yeah, but like I said this before that you need like maybe a top five, 10 or top five or top 10 guy. And and maybe that's not necessarily completely true. Like it is to a large extent and generally it's true. Like the Lakers were 23rd in in 2020 in three-point attempt rate, but they were ninth in true shooting percentage just because they could rely heavily on a LeBron AD pick and roll. And obviously there's no stopping that. And in some ways, uh, you know, if we think about the playoffs, it, DeMar was obviously very limited based on what the Bucs were doing from an offense, uh, sorry, a defensive standpoint, but he was very limited because they just completely ignored the Bulls shooters. So if we think about the, the what we talked about before and the fact that the roster has remained unchanged, like even if you are a low three-point attempt rate, if you had someone else in the corner beyond Derek Jones Jr. or Javante Green or whoever that may be, actually being there to, to, to finish these possessions, then it changes the way teams defend DeRozan. It changes the way the teams defend the Bulls more generally. And, you know, you can still be a low three-point attempt team, but if you're at high a high efficiency three-point attempt team, then you can overcome that. And like even the Spurs in years past, they haven't been a a high three-point attempt rate team, but they've found other avenues to score. Or when they have shot their threes, they've had legitimate, you know, 40% shooters across the court that can make those can make those jumpers. The Bulls don't have that in that sense. So, yeah, they need to find other ways to score. We saw them do that last season. They need to return back to that coming forward. But obviously the question is, will they be able to? And you mentioned Lonzo, and, and we can talk about this a little bit more in the next segment, but this idea that um, a role guy is so fundamental to how you approach you how you approach the game on both sides of the of the court like that's something that needs to change and we need to expand on that a little bit more and maybe we can will but um Lonzo just can't be this important to a basketball team like Lonzo is obviously a very good player someone that I love watching but for him for your fourth best player to be this important to your function and your success as a team like that's ultimately very concerning is he the fourth best player I'm not so well, sure. Well, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still pegging in Vooch. The Vooch apologist is still standing uh, Vooch here, so I'll, I'll put him at fourth. I'm, no, not Vooch. I'll put Lonzo at fourth. I'm, uh, you know, I've waffled a little bit on Vooch. I still am probably higher on him than most, for sure. But I am also the uh, the world's leading Lonzo appreciator fan club. So um, I don't know, man. I mean, you just. The Bulls were built in such a funky way where this hypothetical doesn't really work. But like if you replaced Vooch with like a replacement caliber center for the entire season versus Lonzo with a replacement caliber guard, I feel like the team suffers more without Lonzo. And again, that just all comes back to identity and continuity and what you need to be in order to win at a high level. And we'll talk about that more. But first, I want to tell you about FOCO. FOCO is the home for the best Chicago sports coverage um, and all of its merchandise and collectibles. So we partnered up with FOCO and you can secure your access to the best collectibles and gear around bears, cubs, white Sox, Blackhawks, bulls. FOCO has something for you, for a friend, for your kid, a parent, anybody, you know, wants some Chicago sports gear. 
obviously you want to get in the uh, chgo locker and get them a t-shirt there but once you're done with that you can get them some gear from foca they've got collectibles they've got swimsuits bobbleheads t-shirts uh crocs even uh, might have to get myself a pair of crocs i've been thinking about it for a while but Whatever you need, FOCO has got you covered. Head on over to FOCO.com or click the link below in the YouTube description and you will get 10% off all non-presale items by using code, you guessed it, CHGO. So check that out. FOCO's got some great stuff and we'll hook you up with 10% off. Um, Mark, let's talk about just this idea of what they need to do to improve because obviously... The identity was kind of wonky towards the end of the season. And as we talked about, the three-point attempt rate didn't help things out. The defensive scheme that they built on two guards, which I think is super rare in the NBA, was completely um, derailed when those guys went down. So what do they do? What do they do? <laughs> I'll leave it vague. Well, this is the question now. Like we, we, I guess we, I was going to say we know what they are, but I guess we... You, you can maybe say we don't necessarily because we only saw what they were fully healthy for, you know, half of the season. But I, I don't think we can just automatically, you know, throw away the last 40 odd games and say that that's not relevant because it is like how the team responded once they lost Caruso and, and Lonzo and even Zach, like that, that's still telling in some nature. Now, obviously we hope that they don't go through that again and maybe that in itself will help correct things. But given so much of this team, from a roster perspective is unchanged and what we just discussed, you know, just before that we, we expect their, their three point volume to remain quite low. We, we have to start asking the question, like what can the balls do to make them, to make themselves different? What, what can they do internally to, to boost them up from, you know, their sixth place finish in terms of the standings last, last season to, to something more to, you know, can they get up to the third seed as an example? Can they be a team that in the event, something doesn't necessarily click with the Sixers or whoever it may be. Maybe the Bucs takes a step back. Maybe the Celtics from last season aren't able to replicate what they did last season into next season. Like in the event something like that happens, can the Bulls be that team that is, you know, well-placed to to take a step in that sense? And for that to happen, something needs to internally change. So I guess, how does that happen? Like in some ways, well, I think they need to almost foolproof themselves from any in terms of their style of play from in the from the event of Lonzo or Caruso missing missing basketball games. So like I don't think there's ability for the team to increase their three point attempt rate. I, I think that would be nice, but based on the roster itself, I don't think that's going to happen. So I started to think about the, the defense. Like can the Bulls or should the Bulls return back to their style of defense that they were playing in the first half of the season where they were just so manic in, 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 in getting into the passing lanes, being so aggressive on screens and really being, um, you know, at, 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 the, at the point of attack, they were so damn good that that, were, that, were, that defense was sort of fun or fueling their offense. Like, is that something that should continue to happen knowing that someone like Lonzo or someone like Caruso is so susceptible to injury when if you remove those pieces and all of a sudden your defense is gone? So I'm starting to think about like, does it make more sense to for the Bulls to injury-proof their defensive scheme some by maybe dialing back the way they play their defense, maybe not being as aggressive, maybe not being so... Lonzo or Caruso dependent, not forging your your def- defensive identity around these guys, which maybe is not the right thing to do, given that's what you sort of brought them into to to do. 
But at the same time, if we, we saw what they, the Bulls look like without those guys. So can you build a defensive scheme that is less dependent on Lonzo and Caruso? I think that's something that Billy and the coaching staff need to look at. And you need to also almost plan at this point for those guys to be missing games. So that's something that I, need, I think they need to do is, is maybe change their decent defensive scheme a little bit, maybe be a little bit more conservative in nature, um, just for it, for it to be a baseline of what you can fall back to in the event that Lonzo or Caruso isn't there. And I think Bulls fans should be still banking on that not, not happening, I guess, or happening rather that one of Lonzo or Caruso is going to be missing games at some point. So what do you fall back to? So if you're going from one drastic style to another because those guys are removed, like that's when you get into problems. But if it can be a little bit more, uh, I guess, malleable in that sense or not not extreme when you remove one of those guys, then I think that's something that they need to do. Yeah. So do you mean like Lonzo proofing it while Lonzo is healthy or yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's some validity to that, but I also think that's kind of what happened is that they just got really conservative and that made Vooch look really bad because now he's supposed to be at the level of the screen and wasn't up there. And, you know, the help defense that Lonzo provides was now Damar and that is not good. So I, I think it's just a product of the roster being super top heavy in terms of, you know, offensive talent and defensive talent. There's like two good defenders on this team. Obviously, you want to see some internal development from guys like Io. Dalen Terry could be another guy that is really successful at the point of attack. I honestly think like Derek Jones Jr. is a much better defender of guards than he is of bigs just because of how like slender he is. He's super long. I think if you just put him on the ball and he defends at the point of attack, he'd be a lot better. Um, so I, I do think they're kind of built to withstand that, but obviously they're not good enough without those guys just because nobody is um but i yeah i think when they got a little bit more conservative that's when they kind of lost their identity but i I guess what i'm saying is this like the bulls were was so aggressive at the point of attack because one they had lonzo playing at the point of attack for example or they had caruso at the point of attack defending the, the initial pick and roll but then behind him they had someone like lonzo who could be that weak side help guy that could you know, rotate all over the court and could make up for some missed rotations. But if you dial back Caruso and his aggressiveness at the top of the pick and roll, and you know, maybe you don't play as heavy in the in the passing lanes as Lonzo has, or you don't necessarily rotate as heavy as you have in the past, then when you remove one of these guys from injuries, all of a sudden the rest of the team isn't, you know, reliant on Lonzo coming in and helping and helping in the way he was before. If you're sort of already pegging it back I'm not necessarily suggesting that they need to go completely away from their identity, but if you just peg it back five or ten percent, then your your offense is oh sorry your defense isn't as aggressive. You maybe not in, in rotation as much. You're not maybe not reliant on help defense as much. That way, you know guys like Demar and Levine they don't have to be that split second there. Uh, well, they don't have to be that split second ahead of the of, of the play like um like they would in an event where Lonzo isn't there because. You know, if he's not there, then you you don't have that play to make it up, I guess. So, if you can just dial it back a a degree or two, then I just wonder if there's something to be had there, whereby if there's just more familiar familiarity with Lonzo, maybe not being that same attacking type of defender that he was in the past, and maybe they need to do that regardless if Lonzo's there. Like if if he's still nursing a knee injury, if he's only playing back to backs, or he's only playing for 25 minutes a game, like maybe that's something you have to do regardless of if he's playing or not. So. I just wonder if they could maybe 
cool it a bit on on the the previous defensive scheme. Maybe make it a little bit more conservative of nature, and it just becomes more of a flat baseline. And the team expects to not have necessarily that same level of help and rotational defense that they had in the past. That they're not necessarily getting the, into the passing lanes at the same volume. That it just becomes almost second nature, irrespective of whether Lonzo is there or not. But when you when you're going so balls to the wall in one scheme, and then all of a sudden you remove that, and you have to figure out a completely different defensive scheme all of a sudden. I think just that sudden shock of, of changing styles is more, uh, it's more problematic, I guess. So I'm, I'm just trying to find a more blended approach. Yeah, I think, I think that makes sense. Um, with, if they were a team that you could clearly peg into the top six and say they're going to make the playoffs, let's take that regular season a little bit easier and not go so aggressive, I would definitely be more on board with that. And I think they probably should dial it back a little bit. But part of me is also like this team needs to be able to play to their identity, whether or not Lonzo's on the floor. So what does that mean? It means Dalen Terry gets really good at reading weak side, reading from the weak side and making those similar kinds of plays. Obviously, he's not going to be as good as Lonzo because I just don't think there are very many players who are. But I think they they can't go to this conservative approach because I just don't think they're good enough. Like they're. They're they were like 23rd defense. If you remove the first half um, when they were actually, you know, top 10, I'm sure that number is way lower. I don't know it off the top of my head here, but um, and then you also sort of like factor in the lack of three point shooting and the ability for the offense to sort of fall off a cliff at any point, given the shooters around. Like, I just think they need to be better at the things they need to be good at. Um mm. So for me, it's more about like improving and playing to an identity. And I think that's even more true on offense. Like without Lonzo, they just devolved. And again, super weird that like a non all-star player would derail the season. Um, It was true on both ends. So I definitely, you know, see what you're trying to say. And I think realistically they should do that. But part of me is also just always feeling hyper aggressive when it comes to you know, making trades or trying to improve the roster or, you know, trying to play to a certain style. Like they, I I think the most disappointing thing for me about the way that the last season ended was that they just completely lost sight of who they were and they could not figure out why or how. And I think playing to a certain style will always be an anchor for you that if you say, well, we're just going to be, you know, not the same defense anymore. I just think you're going to lose sight of, of who you are and, and that will, really make you suffer yeah I, I certainly get that point but at the same time i thought the bulls defense in the playoffs was actually quite good and that was obviously without lonzo and and you know obviously they had caruso but maybe not 100 percent of his value because he was still i think lingering in terms of injuries or injuries were still lingering so i think they still have the ability to be a good half court defense maybe not top 10 but if they could be you know, 13th, 14th, 15th with a more conservative scheme, one that is less Alonzo dependent or less Caruso dependent, let's say, and they're playing maybe a little bit more reserved in nature, which then, like I said, puts the defense less in rotation, which means you've got less of a chance that DeRozan or Levine or even Vooch are going to miss a rotation. Then I'm more about that, to be honest with you. Um, and even like it, we can t- we can move towards the offensive end, but this, this idea of Alonzo proofing the the entire team, I think, is is very important to me because I'm not convinced that he's someone that's going to be be around for the majority of the season. So if we start building this team's identity and it's traits around someone like Lonzo, 
which ideally you would, and ideally you would really, as you sort of as you sort of said, like be super aggressive about it. I, I just can't do that because I just don't trust Lonzo's knee. I don't trust his health more generally. He's missed a chunk of games in four of his of his five or first five seasons. So I, I can't be building my team's identity around Lonzo. It was fun while it lasted, but I just don't think that's it was that fun sound. while it lasted. It was amazing. I loved it. I thought this team, you know, could have been the first team, the first seed in the East with it. But I don't think it's they something were? you can bank on. So I guess that's where I'm coming from. And, and I am, unlike you, maybe, where you're hyper-aggressive and wanting to pull trades and wanting to make these drastic changes, I'm the complete opposite. I'm very conservative in that sense. I'm, all right, let's, let's, let's take stock. Let's see how we can foolproof this to a degree where we don't go back to that situation where we're, you know, you're losing more games and you're winning. And maybe I won't experience the highs that, that you do, Will, in, in that sense. But um, yeah, I, I guess that, well, that's I how mean, I'm there's certainly there's certainly pros and cons for each approach. Right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you, if you're taking huge swings, you're striking out a lot and you're hitting a lot of pop flies, but you're also hitting some home runs. If you're hitting for average, yeah, you're getting on base, but you may. I, I keep on throwing out baseball references. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm just like, I'm preparing for the Cubs to trade Wilson Contreras and it's making me sad. But anyway, um, (laughs) you should uh, probably not watch any Cubs baseball right now. You should watch CHGO Cubs, but not the Cubs because they're really a sorry team. Um, I think this is a good place to stop. I think this has been a really awesome conversation and I'm curious for all of those who listen. um, If you want to keep hearing Mark and I ramble on for an hour, if you have any topics or areas for us to discuss. Um, we're trying to get like theoretical and philosophical here in the off season because there's not anything to react to. So shoot us some ideas and we'll try to start doing these with some regularity. Um, but Mark, it's been a lot of fun. I, I am glad to be doing this uh, CHGO HQ thing that we're doing. So it's been fun. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll tune back in for this at some point soon. Uh, Mark, for you at MK Hoops on Twitter, Joey behind the sticks. Uh, always appreciate the work that you're doing. Hey. I am Will. Hey Joey, <laughs> I'm Will <laughs> at Won't Gottlieb on Twitter. Uh, follow us, follow CHGO Bulls, like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. It helps us out a lot. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. See Red, be good.